Worship Highest Podcast. My name is Meshach Canyon, the host. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. It's all about the kingdom of God and our place in it. And man, it has been a week. It has been a busy week at work. Um, but you know what? I've been exploring and well, not exploring, but experiencing how God has been with me in different ways and, and with all of us. I think I shared this in a previous episode that um, last year I began seeing or discovering that God uh, had me uh, and my family in a, a manna-like relationship with him. Uh, not that we're in the wilderness, but, you know, God has us in different seasons of life. And sometimes um, that season is a wilderness experience, um, even when you're surrounded by a whole bunch of people. Uh, what my experience was the manna like experience. And what that means is in a place where you have to really rely on God uh, for things that you used to take for granted. And that's what it's felt like. And, and this past week was one of those weeks. Um, and that's actually a good place to be with God, because I think God does that to to teach you to to trust him in deeper ways. Um, I think for eternity, we're just going to have an ever increasing experience of a deepening relationship with God. And if that's going to happen there, then it stands to reason uh, that it should happen now as well. So uh, really tough week. But, man, I experienced the grace and presence of God through so many people. Uh, through friends, through scripture. Oh my goodness, my daily devotions every day. It was almost like God just reprinted what was supposed to be in the book because every single scripture, uh, I use one of these um, these uh, Methodist devotionals that have uh, opening prayer, a couple passages of scripture, and a um, uh, some sacred writings. And each scripture that was there uh, was something that I just needed to hear. Yesterday's was James chapter, I think it was one verse five or five verse one, where it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. And, um, and it's just something simple, but you know, we forget these passages of scripture. We forget what they say. Um, so I thank God for this week. I hope you guys had a good week too. Today, as we dive into Jan to Daniel chapter six, the second part of it, uh, I first want to continue answering some questions that people submitted. The question that we'll be looking at this week is how to make Jesus the person you look to in any situation, how to make Jesus the person you look to in any situation. I believe this was submitted by uh, my, my friend Josh. Um, so how do we make Jesus the person we look to in any situation? I actually wrote uh, an article about this on my Substack about a week ago. And um, actually, I was reflecting on a passage from Joshua. What a coincidence, right? The passage I was reflecting on was uh, Joshua chapter 9, verse 12 through 15. And you guys will remember that the Israelites, um, they were in the wilderness, and God was preparing them for the promised land, and he gave them instructions. When you get in the promised land, drive everybody out. This land is for you. Don't leave anybody there, because if you leave anybody there, they're going to come. They're going to corrupt you and on so on and so forth. So they had their command. They go. They drive out Jericho. They drive out the people of Ai um, or I, depending on how you pronounce it. And then all the surrounding nations begin to hear that uh, God is with Israel and they're routing all the nations. And so uh, a people called the Gibeonites 
as they hear what Israel's doing, they begin to get afraid that Israel's going to do the same thing to them as they did to the other nations. And so they plot against Israel. They say something like, let's deceive them by going to them, but making it seem as if we traveled from a, a far journey. And um, then that way we'll, we can make a treaty with them. They'll think that we're not a neighboring town, but that we're, we're far away and they won't want to destroy us. Uh, and then after they discover it, we would have had the treaty and we'll survive. And so that's exactly what they did. They, they wore old and tattered clothes. They, they took some rotten food, rotten bread, so that when the Israelite leaders saw them, uh, everything about them would give off the appearance, the appearance that uh, these people have traveled a long journey. In the article I wrote, first of all, the title was Seeking the Lord When Certain, and I'll post a link in the description if anybody wants to, wants to read it. But the article is about how um, sometimes we get in a position where we will seek the Lord when we don't know. You know, it's like that psalm that says, in my distress, I turned to the Lord and he delivered me from all my troubles. That's good. We should definitely seek the Lord when we're uncertain, when we're distressed, when we're troubled. But we should also seek the Lord when we're certain. Seeking the Lord when you're certain, that's a different relationship. That's like a relationship of, of trust and loyalty, but more importantly, of friendship. Because what do we do with our friends? You know, we ask their advice uh, and not just on the important stuff, but sometimes on the ridiculous stuff, the, the inane stuff, the mundane stuff. So in this passage, when the Gibeonites go to is the Israelite leaders, you know, I'm sure they had like a little brief committee meeting like, hey, you guys want to make a treaty with them? After all, for all intents and purposes, they don't look like they're our neighbors. They look like they've come from a far distance. And so based off of what they see with their physical eyes, the Israelite leaders made a treaty with them. Now, if they sought the Lord as a friend, like not out of a sense of trouble or dismay, but just said, hey, God, what do you think? Here are these Gibeonites. They seem like nice people. Then the Lord who sees through everything and he sees everything as it is, he may have just said like, hey, you should ask them a few more questions about Oh, exactly where their land is, or maybe you should travel to their land with them. Or actually those, they didn't travel from a great distance. Anyways, to answer the question, um, how do we, how do we make Jesus um, the person we look to in any situation? I think the answer is by, cons first, you gotta, it's, it's practice, it's, it's training, it's relationship development. But we have to see that Jesus doesn't just want to be in relation to us like a God that's far removed, that we only go to with the great things. But we have to discover that God is there for the small things uh, as well. And we have to see that as as our portion in life, that God is with us, that God is interested in us, that God delights in us. And then we can go to God. I, I really love the uh, it's something that Tim Keller used to say. He talked about how. You know, Jesus says we have to become like little children, but we, we don't really dive into that. We we kind of spiritualize that. But if you really think about a small child with their parent, oh, my goodness, like my son, Gabriel, in particular, I love the kid. But when we're driving, like if it's just me and him in the car, it could be like a 10 minute drive. One thousand questions would have been asked, you know. And 
It's great. Sometimes, I mean, I'll press pause because I like to listen to audiobooks when I'm driving. But when Gabe's in the car with me, I got to press pause because this brother's asking about everything. Why? What, what would happen if the sun exploded? What would happen? What's your favorite food? If you can go back in time, blah, blah, blah. He's involving me in everything that's happening in his life. Jesus says we ought to be like little children. So if we want to make um, Jesus the person we look to in, in any situation, first of all, we have to consider ourselves differently with humility. You know, we got to stop thinking that we're these intellectual powerhouses that got it all figured out. Because in the economy of the universe, the angels and all the divine beings, they look down on us like, oh, my goodness, look at those infants. They're barely scraping by down there. And, and so we have to consider ourselves that way. Like, listen, we are, we are infants in the eyes of God, learning how to live in the kingdom. And then as infants, we should look to God and look to Jesus as the great one, the ones we can rely upon, the ones that take care of us. So if we just switch the way we see ourselves and the way we see God and begin making a practice of going to God with the big things, going to God with the little things, and just having a conversation with God when there is no request, then I think we'll begin to um, make a shift in our lives uh, where we can just go to Jesus in any situation because we would have become the kind of people that routinely and easily do so. So as practice, I think I'd recommend, listen, next time you're um, in a car, going to school, going to work, going home, or something like that, turn off the audio book, turn off the music, and just tell Jesus how your day was. Just, just tell him, just talk like Gabriel talks to me. Ask him questions and don't give him time to answer because that's, that's what kids do. Habituate your body, habituate your spirit and your soul to talk to Jesus, and you will begin to do so naturally in the big things and more importantly in the little things because your relationship with Jesus as your friend and God as your father would have deepened significantly. So thank you for for asking that question. If any of you have a question, you can always email it to me, mcanyon at gmail.com. Um, I love to hear what's on your mind because it it really helps me as a pastor to uh, to think theologically about the questions that people that um, I want to minister to the questions that they're asking. So thank you, Josh, for submitting that question. Um, and now let's dive into Daniel chapter six. We finished off last week. Well, actually, let me let me just give a brief because some some people mentioned um the blog last week and the parts that made an impact on their life. Uh, in particular, um, Matt made a comment online where he said, um, before hearing the episode, I zeroed in on the story in chapter six and noticed how Daniel prayed three times a day as he had done before. It was a wow moment for me. There were a, a few people that uh, expressed similar uh, sentiments on Daniel's um, disciplined prayer life three times a day as he had done before. I, I think that makes an impact on us because um, prayer here in the West has become a kind of um, take it or leave it thing, not a disciplined thing. You know, it's, prayer hasn't become something that uh, we do as an exercise, as a discipline. It's, it's kind of like a 
almost a throwaway thing. You know what I mean? And it's that's to our detriment. But to have a disciplined prayer life where you're going to God on a regular basis, you know, we just kind of talked about that answering the question that doesn't only have an impact on um, God, but it has an impact on us. It shapes us. It teaches us to look to God, to recalibrate our hearts on what God is doing and to invite God or invite ourselves to continue our day looking to God and receiving life uh, from God. So that's one thing that I know would really change uh, the church, would change the world, really. If the church really began to look upon prayer as a um, as a powerful thing that it is, as a thing that can change us, as a thing that will uh, allow God to move through us in this world, man, I think the world would be turned upside down. I mean, look what look what just the prayers of Daniel uh, were able to accomplish, uh, as we'll see um, later on as we're talking about this passage. So I encourage you to have a disciplined approach to prayer. Don't just pray when you feel like it, uh, but begin to practice having a disciplined approach uh, to prayer. So when we left off, Daniel was um, the the people had come. They spied on him. Um, they uh, saw that he was praying, even though the edict said that uh, he shouldn't pray. And so they went and told uh, the king that, hey, we found Daniel doing this. And so we made the law. And so now we got to throw him in jail. So let's pick up where. Um, let's see. What verse is this? Daniel chapter six, verse 14. Then the king, and this is Darius the Mede, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. Now, remember, these people, these satraps, they went and um, I mean, their name is pretty interesting when you consider what they did. They they set a trap for Daniel. I don't know what satrap means, but I guess trapping people is part and parcel with the job description. So they're they're really fulfilling their calling. But they went to the king with huge numbers and stroked his ego. Right. And so King Darius ended up doing um, what they wanted him to do because he didn't have eyes to see that that a net was being laid for him and he walked right into it. So when they come and they say, listen, uh, King Daniel, one of the exiles, this is how rude they are. When, uh, Belshazzar did the same thing when there's a writing on the wall. He didn't refer to Daniel as one of the uh, the honorable people of Babylon. And in this situation, they don't refer to him as the second in command or the third in command. But they referred to him as, hey, he's just one of the exiles that we brought in from from Jerusalem. So total disregard for who this uh, who this great prophet is in verse 13. One of the exiles pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you've signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And so that's when the king, when he heard these words, uh, he was much distressed and he set his mind to deliver Daniel. So King Darius has been caught in a trap and it's one of those situations where the Bible uses specific language to to compare and contrast uh, human capacity to deliver versus God's capacity to deliver. So here we have Darius the Mede, the ruler of Babylon. He can do whatever he wants. Right. 
but he's limited by the laws that were created. So above the king are the laws that govern the king. And so he signed this injunction, word is bond, you know what I mean? He can't back out of it. And the Bible uses very interesting language to paint this picture of what man can do, what women can do versus what God can do. That's why in my Bible in verse 16, um, I circled the word deliver. Um, uh, let's see, or in verse 14. So where it says, um, he was much distressed and he set his mind to deliver Daniel, but he wasn't able to deliver him. Uh, as it says, the law of the Medes and Persians um, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. So when the king discovers that he can't deliver Daniel, then look at verse uh, 16. Look at, listen to what he says to Daniel as he's being thrown into the lion's den. Then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. So there's that juxtaposition. The king can't deliver because there's laws on, on earth that the king has established that limit what he's able to do. But then the king says, may your God who supersedes everything else deliver you. This book, remember, this book was written for people in exile so that they'd be encouraged, so that they'd be strengthened, so that they'd understand that even in the midst of our terrible circumstances, our God is able to deliver. And listen, that that is something that um, I need to remember. And I, I think it's something that uh, you may need to remember as well, that God, the God that we serve is able to deliver. And so we must see him that way. You know, the other morning I woke up and I've been I've been trying to devote myself to not reach for my phone the first thing in the morning. That's a terrible habit. I don't know where I picked that up, but maybe because I use my phone as a as an alarm clock. So it's right by the bed. And so when I wake up, I not only see the time, but I'll see the notifications and I'll see who won the game or who lost the game and I'll pick it up and spend like five or 10 minutes. So I'm trying to break that habit uh, and replace it with meditating on the word of God, particularly one of the easy passages that uh, that paint a picture of our lives with God. Right. So the other day I, I woke up and I was about to grab my phone. Then I remembered you're supposed to you're, you're not supposed to do that. Uh, as one pastor I saw on Instagram, he said um, that he tries to do scripture before screens, scripture before screens. And so I said, all right, what scripture will I meditate on? And I, I chose to meditate on Psalm 23, one of the most powerful uh, scriptures in the Bible because of the picture it paints of God. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I mean, think about the words of the Psalm that we take for granted. Uh, he he leadeth me beside the still waters. You know, he restores my soul. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. It paints this picture of God that is taking care of us, that's aware of everything that we need. He knows our problems. Um, he knows our concerns. He knows that we're in need of rest and relaxation. He knows that we're fearful. You know, he knows that we're, we're going that we have enemies and he's taking care of all of that. So anyways, as I'm meditating that morning on this passage, I'm just trying to really prepare myself 
to enter into this day with the God of Psalm 23 as the God that I serve. That way I'm not going into the day thinking the weight of the world is on my shoulders and thinking that God is distant, uh, that God um, is kind of oblivious and, and all those things. But it's, I mean, it made a psychological difference to me to consider as I go into this day, here's all the needs I have. Here's the needs my family has. Thank God that God knows about these things. So I can trust that I've already mentioned them to God. I can trust that God's going to take care of me and God's going to make sure that every need we have is going to be uh, provided in the way that God thinks is best, in the way that's going to lead us to continue experiencing a flourishing life. So the Bible and stories in the Bible, they try to do that all the time in subtle ways. They paint a picture of a God that saves, that loves. And that's what's happening here in Daniel chapter six. The king isn't able to deliver, but the God that Daniel serves, this king that's not able to deliver, he appeals to that God uh, to step in and deliver Daniel. So they take Daniel, they lift him up, they cast him into the lion's den, you know, and a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it. Now, as I'm thinking about this, I'm like, man, not only, you know, is he in a cave, but they they sealed it. So it's dark in there. I mean, what what worse thing can you have than being in a cave with a bunch of lions, but you can't see them <laughs> because it's dark, right? That's terrible. Maybe there's a torch in there or something like that. Um, but it seems like it's a dark cave or maybe there's a high opening somewhere uh, that wouldn't have allowed for Daniel to uh, to escape. All night long, Darius, he can't sleep. He's tossing and turning because and this really reveals the kind of relationship he has with Daniel. So all night long, he's tossing and turning. Uh, he can't sleep at all. Um, let's see. He spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fr fled from him. Then it goes on to say, at daybreak, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God. Listen to the language, man. You hear what he's saying? The king knows. O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Listen. Oh, this book is so good. This book is so good. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. How do you think the, the king felt like as soon as he heard that voice? Just the relief. You know what I mean? You ever been in a situation where you're you're awaiting news and man, the anxiety. Maybe for some of you, it's been a doctor's report. Why do doctors always like you going for a checkup for something that's like maybe huge, like may change your entire life. Then doctors would be like, we'll let you know in three weeks. I'm like, excuse me, how about three minutes? You know, on, on TV, they they run the reports and have it back immediately. So then for the next three weeks, you got to live with the anxiety and the questioning. What's going to happen until finally you, you get that voicemail that says, hey, the tests were clear. You're good to go. Right. And you can literally feel like you're like the relief is just in your body. Your muscles relax and, and all those things. 
King Darius must have had an experience like that where all night long he's fasting, he's praying. This is his friend Daniel that's in the lion's den. Has he been torn to pieces? What's become of him? Um, and probably a little bit of anger, too, at these people that tricked him. So as soon as he hears Daniel's voice, I imagine there's a whole bunch of relief. Then Daniel said, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Now, we got to talk about this a little bit. When Daniel says I was found blameless before him, he's not making a universal statement. So Daniel's not saying when God looks at me, he sees that I've never committed a sin. But what he's alluding to is this situation. Um, as I was thrown into jail under false pretenses, my God looked at me and he saw like, man, they're they're setting my my, my boy Daniel up in a, in a trap. And so that's why God delivered him. Sometimes in our um, and this is mostly a fundamental reading of, of Scripture, we try to take a statement uh, like the one that Daniel made and make it more than it is. He's just talking about the situation. He was found blameless. He did nothing wrong, uh, but the people the people set him up, and now he's thrown into jail. This reminds me of um, uh, Peter's words in First Peter chapter two, verse twenty. Let me let me turn to it real quick, because um, you know sometimes we have this idea that God will always deliver us, even when um, we're the ones that got into the the mess. And God will deliver us, but sometimes we, we may have to uh, bear the consequences of our action. And God will allow us to, uh, to bear them for a while, you know, because and sometimes those, those consequences or punishment is the best teacher. And so in, in 1 Peter 2, he says, um, what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure, Right. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Daniel did good and he endured. The people tried to punish him because of it. And God looked at it like, oh, no, I'm about to pour grace upon Daniel's life uh, and deliver him because it's in those. I mean, think about it. When you suffer for doing good, you didn't do anything wrong. People try to set you up. It's those situations that the name of God is is going to shine like a light in the darkness. Right. So in this lion's den, you think about the situation, the satraps, they think they got him. They think they finally snuffed out uh, the candle that is um, that is Daniel. And so as he's in the lion's den all night there, the king is in anguish. But these people think that they've been victorious. Meanwhile, God is seizing upon an opportunity to let his name be magnified in all the land because the story is going to get out there. They threw Daniel into jail, but in the morning, Daniel came out. What's the next question people are going to ask? How? How did Daniel come out? What's King Darius going to say? The God whom Daniel serves delivered him. He delivered him. And so God will, God, I won't say always because sometimes, um, Sometimes God name, God's name is praised as we suffer, but our suffering ends in death. So I don't want to say that we'll all, and, and there's historical precedence uh, to both. But what we do know is that God will always be with each and every one of us when we're cast into the lion's den, 
whatever that line stand of a situation is. Um, and, and that was the case here uh, with Daniel. Thrown into the lion's den, God sent an angel to shut the mouth of the lions, and um, and they were deli- and and Daniel was delivered. And then it says, the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted his God. No kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted his God. Now. Here's the question. Where did Daniel trust his God? What indication do we have that Daniel was a man that had confidence in God? I'm going to be quiet for a few seconds so you can think about it before I give you the answer. And the answer is in this passage. Okay. Where did we see Daniel trusting God? The answer is in his devotional life. In Daniel uh, 6, verse 10, where it says, and let me turn to it again real quick. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks to his God as he had done previously. And then if you look in um, 16, The king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the lion's den. Then the king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually. So when it says that Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he trusted his God, that phrase trusted his God isn't something that simply points to Daniel's faith in the lion's den, but it's primarily pointing to the kind of life that Daniel lived that caused him to be thrown into the lion's den. How easy is it for us to sometimes be in a situation that requires a supernatural outcome? And then we start crying unto God. Oh, God, save me. Oh, God, deliver me. So on and so forth. You know what I mean? How easy is it for us to do that? What's better is to have a devotional life when things are smooth when things, when there is no risk of being thrown into the lion's den, all that stuff, right? Because when you have that kind of devotional life, then when you are in the lion's den, it's, it'll be easy for you to place your faith and confidence in God, right? But when you wait until you're in the lion's den, it's going to be hard for you to look to God. This reminds me of something that, um, that John Wesley said in, in a sermon called Means of Grace. Uh, he, was, he was asking the question, how and where are we to wait on God? The Bible talks all over the place about um, wait on the Lord, be of good cheer, wait on the Lord. But Wesley's like, well, how are we to wait on God? And where are we to wait on God? The answer that he gives is we're to wait on God in the means that he has provided in prayer, in, in studying the scripture, in fasting, in receiving Holy Communion, etc., So we see in Daniel's life, he waited on God with regularity as he was praying, as he was serving God. I'm sure as he was meditating on the Torah and the Old Testament uh, scriptures that were available to him. And I I derive a lot of um, encouragement from that because, you know, as we're studying this book, one of the reasons we're doing so is because we, like Daniel, live Uh, in a world that doesn't give credence to the God that we serve, 
we you may say we live in modern day Babylon. So then the question is, how do we live faithfully? It's easy to point to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being in the fiery furnace. It's easy to point to Daniel being in the lion's den. But the skillful reader and the wise reader would ask the question, well, how did they live outside of that? Right. And once we find the answer to that question and we see it's in prayer, it's in serving God, it's in studying scripture, it's in fellowshipping with one another. Those are the things that we need to do to cultivate the kind of life uh, that they had. And as we do those things, our relationship with God like theirs will will grow to such a degree that it's not only known uh, by us personally, but those around us will also uh, come to see and believe um, uh, in the God that we serve, just like King Darius did. So then what's the outcome? Well, the outcome is King Darius, he commanded that Daniel should be brought out of the lion's den. And then he got all the satraps, uh, but not only them, he got their children, their wives, their entire families. And listen to what it says. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. That is a vicious outcome, man. So it's, you know, sometimes I, I don't like I don't like that as the outcome. I wish Darius would have asked Daniel what should be done with these people who try to set you up. So then we could have seen how Daniel would have respond and responded as a man of God. But hey, Darius, no one's saying Darius is a servant of God. This this passage is about Daniel. But then after that, King Darius wrote to all the people really praising the God of Daniel. And I'm just going to read that. Then I'll close with a prayer. I make a decree. These kings are always be making decrees. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And that's how the passage ended. So the faithfulness of Daniel over and over and over again. We saw it with Nebuchadnezzar. We saw it with uh, Belshazzar. Now we saw it with, uh, now we see it with Darius the Mede. The faithfulness of Daniel leads other people to realize the faithfulness of God. May God bless each and every one of us as we endeavor to be faithful to God. And through our lives, the name of God may be praised uh, in all the land, starting in our own lives, in our families, in our communities, at work, at churches, and beyond as God sees fit. Well, listen, in our next episode, it's going to get weird. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 7, and from here on out, um, this book is going to take on uh, an apocalyptic tone similar to the book of Revelation. So um, I'm, I invite you to read it. When we start off the next episode, um, after we answer the question, I'm going to do a little bit to teach you how to read and understand apocalyptic literature. A lot of people read it wrong. They start reading it and trying to predict the future. This isn't about that. So read Daniel chapter seven. It's really good. Then uh, starting next Sunday, we're going to start 
looking apocalyptically at the Bible. All right, my sisters and brothers, thank you so much for watching. Hey, if you found this helpful and you think someone else might be helped by it, you can help me out by sharing it with them. Okay. All right. Until then, I'll be praying for you guys this week. You pray for me too, if you would. Peace.